0: Welcome to Musician. I'm your host, Andrew LaPau. Let's start the show. Today on Musician, we have my friend Adam Puff. Uh, a drummer who plays over 400 gigs a year in the city of Nashville alone. Um, I've played with him many times on a few different types of gigs, and he's a pleasure to work with. Uh, We really get into uh, the topic of working downtown Nashville in this podcast. We talk about a record that he produced, wrote, produced, uh, and performed all himself uh, before he moved to town in 2015. Uh, we talk about his growing up in Houston and then moving to Pittsburgh, working a job before making the switch to becoming a full-time musician. And we spend a good deal of time talking about meditation. Actually, like the pretty much the last half of this interview. Uh, is about his uh, devotion to transcendental meditation and his um, discipline with it. Uh, so definitely stick around for that part of the conversation. So without any further interruption, here's my interview with Adam Puff. Enjoy. It's like a Pro Tools thing? This is Logic. Logic, okay. yeah. It's so funny, every time I'm editing these interviews um can you see me do you feel comfortable is there a weird distance between us no okay (laughs) Ah! Uh, hold on i'm gonna i clipped a little bit let me see
1: i mean i see some of these interview shows it's like they're nose to nose i was like man you know (laughs) what's the deal yeah with
0: with like (laughs) with the directional mics like yours is a very directional mic so yours isn't gonna pick up anything mine is also but mine's like a it's, it's' a wider range of pickups, so it's probably gonna get some it's reflections like nice and stuff. It's a great mic that's yeah. uh' I was using this mic since' had this one for like eight years or something like that. Wow, yeah, and i've it's held up over time. It's actually gotten better. like it used to have some issues and now the issues are gone, and it's just like a miracle that it doesn't do what it used to do. like it used to just hum, but it doesn't do that anymore. It sounds great. Um, but yeah, everybody when they come in here, they're like, "What is that?" I'm like, "Oh, it's logic." People don't seem to be very yeah, familiar I'm familiar, with, familiar
1: it. with it. Yeah, I know a lot of drummers are using a lot of you know the technology these days. I actually just used the Roland SPDX pad. Yeah. for the first time last night. Oh no! During a show, was it life changing for you? I'll tell you something. <laughs> the The interesting thing to me was this. We like I used it on what's up, you know, just mm-hmm. on the just yeah. some some bass and snaps. Yeah, totally on the on the calm verses. hmm Girls are coming out of the woodwork, like <laughs> flowing in. You know, because it's like a hip hop vibe. Oh, yeah, it, was it like
0: a it's like an eight oh eight kick yeah. you threw in there, yeah.
1: You know, these snaps are going through and, and Pittsburgh ran sounds, so you know it's everything's tight. <laughs> we go in to hit me with their best shot, these girls scattered. Like, it was like, what happened? I know. You know? Yeah, there is a noticeable difference using that and getting more of a hip-hop flow with certain songs in the evening time <laughs> as opposed to just playing, you know, a typical rock song. Yeah, you
0: to got to play to the to the crowd. And if it's a club crowd, that SPDX is, yeah. is awesome.
1: The thing is, you know, I don't travel lightly. I carry a lot of stuff, so I've got to try to integrate this with... With my stuff and try to make it. If I'm going to use it regularly, I've got to make it to where I can actually travel with it and and it's not bogging me down. I'm not mm-hmm. carrying 15 things on me, you know. And that's the that's going to be the challenge. But I tell you, it was it was noticeable.
0: So this is a recent purchase of yours?
1: No, I've had it. I bought it actually for an indie band I was playing with called Boom Lights. It's unfortunately no longer together, but they wanted to move into more of a an electronic direction. That's just where it seems most of the modern stuff is, even mm-hmm. country now. Mm-hmm. And so it was sitting... I went into Guitar Center just sitting there. And so I just... It was used. I bought it. And then it it sat there after that band disbanded. And uh, and so and now I want to bring it out. I started using a click recently. Okay. I've been, yeah, I've, I've played probably about 100 shows using that. It, it was something I found... That, they're pretty easy to do. Yeah, yeah. You know,
0: you just set it up. You kind of, if you have a set list, it's good to
1: do. Yeah, it's all on the iPad, mm-hmm. so I, you know, I can adjust it, and and then you know, I use my phone to gauge tempos when guitar players just go in. I can get the tempo, get uh-huh. it close, and then away we go.
0: That's cool. Yeah, you gotta be you gotta be quick like that, quick footed.
1: Yeah, but I'll tell you something, man. That's been life changing. I didn't realize I would like it as much playing as with a click. Oh, I love it, man. It's yeah,
0: I, I'm considering maybe. Just setting it up well now that I'm on ears, I can't really like plug into my phone when I'm doing the acoustic stuff because I was feeling like maybe I should just like for when I'm just the only guitar player and it's me and a singer, yeah to just have a click in my ear like drummers do and really really groove to a click yeah. i'm now that I'm doing work in the studio and I have the click going it's I'm getting better with it right um yeah, I mean the technology it if you use it right, it can make you a better musician man, i'm telling you the
1: thing the thing about it that that changed was i didn't realize that like on songs you know just typical stuff like fancy or uh gunpowder and lead i'd be rushing parts and i didn't even know it and it's not like anyone ever told me or anyone ever had a problem i Uh don't even know if it was overtly noticeable unless it was to a really trained ear Uh but that type of thing you know it scales you back or you realize that when you you see these tempos, you're playing songs much faster, much slower. You know it, it and also it's just there's no more debate. Mm-hmm. Once it's there, and once someone likes it the way it is, mm-hmm. you, it, it ends all debates now. Yeah, and now you, you know?
0: can save the tempo and just call it up every time if you if the artist you're playing for just likes it like that. Yeah, a little well, faster, a little slower. You, we all know those those guys come in and they're,
1: they're uh, tempo police or something, you know. No, 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 no. It was, it was much faster than that. Uh, uh, no, actually. It's like uh, Nashville whiplash. Yeah. You know, yeah. Some, yeah. I mean, you know. You know why I pulled you over? Excessive speed. You know, it's like, man, come on. You know, unless we have
0: a, a click here, it really is debatable yeah well i think in a live music setting especially if you're playing bars the um the tempo can be semi-fluid that's yeah. not the, that's not the biggest concern right. it's really about energy when you're yeah. in a live setting like that uh intimate setting but man i cannot take like when drummers it they they treat every gig like it's like a like a free jazz gig and they're like switching up the feels during the verses. And then the, and then when the chorus comes, like it just drops like 10 BPM, you know, just like, what? yeah, like show voting drummers. Yeah. Uh, And then, and then it's like a totally different feel for the second verse and third verse. And it's, it's just nuts.
1: Yeah. You, you know, my best drum lesson was when i went through the process of recording an original album and began taking these songs that i was playing and recording to open jam nights and i would have a drum a drummer sit in behind me and attempt to play along with these remedial chords i was playing you know Mm -hmm. and these drummers would be playing too loud or too soft or rushing things and it, it began... I had never really known what it was like when I was being annoying behind someone until that very moment. And I always say the best drum lesson I ever had, the best lesson on dynamics I ever had, was actually being a singer. Kind of getting out of the typical environment. I didn't know name. you sang. It, it wasn't great. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the albums out there, it was under the, the band name effect of The Letter. Oh. Um
0: can I get that somewhere?
1: Yeah, it's on iTunes. It's all over the place. But, you know, man, I at the time, I, I think I'd gotten a little disenchanted with just playing drums. I was playing in bar bands, and, and you know, I enjoyed that. But I had reached the summit of that little world, and I just needed something new. Mm-hmm. I write every day, and, you know, most of it was lyric stuff. I always had a guitar around, and I thought, well, I'm either going to do something with this stuff or not. And uh, with the guy I was playing with, a guy named Brian Glahn, we, we sat down, we, we came up with about 12 songs, we recorded 10, and I, I can't listen to the album now, because it was, <laughs> it was uh, I thought I could do everything on my own. Oh, yeah? What do you need a producer for? I know all this. <laughs> uh, I listen to it and see what an idiot I was and so i really can't listen to the material cuz all i hear is a half baked demo that was supposed to be a upwreck echelon
0: that's album. that's how i feel about my my you know debut album or whatever i mean i i didn't have it under my own name because i was just like well i don't want this to reflect on my identity or anything this is just my art this is my music and i'm going to name it something else um, even though it was a very personal record and it was yeah. it like was a debut for my songwriting I think that the songs are good on there. I just don't think that my production skills i am I'm impressed that I was able to do so much as a producer back then, but it, it w- wouldn't hold up you know yeah actually I don't know i' have to, I haven't listened to it in so long I still get people there they tell me that they they listen to it and that they still have it in their car and like
1: so occasionally I'll get those messages yeah you know, I, I think I'm proud of the work i I just wish that I had not been so close to it you're too close sometimes to Mm -hmm. see the flaws and and i certainly was in that case and i also was just maniacal about what i wanted it had to be a certain way and if i was able to take a step back it would have turned out better you know
0: that's interesting that you say you're you were so close to it you couldn't see its flaws I, i worked the opposite when i that's why it's really tough for me to like finish things because i'm always so close to it and i see every flaw and I want to make it perfect, yeah. Um, and but perfect in its imperfection in a weird way, and sure. it's it's never perfect. Um, it's got to be like I've stick. gotten I've gotten uh, pretty good about writing. The the thing that gets me to finally like just get it to its its best level without me overthinking it is having a deadline. If I'm if I'm producing yeah. something, like I had a I had a show, um, and I had to make. It was like a hip hop show, and I had to make five tracks that were going to be played in this like big room. And I was just like, "Clean this up, clean this up, make this full." Am I happy with this? It's good enough. Yeah, let's let's do it. So,
1: I, I went back later and recorded a track, um, a, a cover of U two song called "Love Is Blindness," and that we had a producer on, and it was like night and day. The recording went easy. Yeah. it was fast it didn't cost as much money and i was like man that that was the and that was the last time i sang on anything and then from there it was nothing but drums i think i would just gotten that in my system mm-hmm. i'm too neurotic about my voice anyways i you know most of the singers downtown I man they just go and do it yeah there's no thought behind it there's no warming up there's no nonsense <laughs> yeah you know with me it was a bunch of nonsense i was too neurotic okay and and so it, that makes it sense
0: fine. yeah i mean you're I don't know you as a singer. Um, nobody Good. ever gives you a mic. Good, you know, when we play <laughs> when we together, get fired. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you. Um, but you are an in-demand drum talent in town for sure. You're always working. You're working. You're like when people say, "Are you a full-time musician?" You're one of the people that I know. That's an overtime musician.
1: Very fortunate to be. Yeah, yeah. It's it. It was a it was a long process, man. Because. You know, I was I was doing well in the in the world I was in before. Uh, what was that? It was oil and gas related, but not really. It was it was basically what's called seismic mapping. You're taking 3D pictures of the Earth. In order to do these projects, you have to permit and research hundreds of square miles of land uh, that encompasses many thousands of, of properties and people. And, and, uh, I oversaw the the research and development end and I was making great money, but I was living in Pennsylvania. I was removed from everyone and and traveling a lot. It gave me the keys to the world in terms of, uh, access, mm-hmm. but I, I just was never fully happy. Mm-hmm. And I was always looking forward to the the show on the weekends. So, you know, I had I just, I just kind of had enough. And I, I remember sitting Lisa down and I was like, you know, I really just want to move to Nashville and play drums. I, I just don't think I can do this anymore. And I thought that uh, she would have me shot for being <laughs> so foolish. Uh, because, you know, you already had the golden ticket. Uh, mm. But... She was she was almost immediately on board. That's great. You know, I think she was tired of me traveling. I I was tired of being away. And we have family here. We everyone wants to come here. It just kinda of made sense. So that's kinda of, that was the, the way it kind of started.
0: And you were living at in Pittsburgh doing this? Yeah, job. just
1: a little small town outside of it, uh called New Stanton, which was near Greensburg. Okay. Kind of that little outpost outside of Pittsburgh. Okay. And um, so we pack our bags and I I gave my notice and and we move. Um, I really have to give credit to, you know, Brent Johnson. Mm -hmm. He was the first person that I reached out to. And he was just incredibly kind to me without knowing me. uh, Said, yeah, when you get into town, hit me up. We'll meet. Um, he let me sit in on like Saturday, 10 to 2s. that never happens at honky tonk central places going bonkers. <laughs> he would get, he would give up the seat for me to, to sit in and, and was kind of, and, and gave me a lot of great advice. And, um, he gave my number to a girl who, uh, whose name I can't recall, but she, she texts me at five o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. It was August of 2015, and I had been—I was playing in the Lower Broadway band, which is wedding and, band. No, it, it's kind of an infamous thing uh, with Chris Dodson. If anyone that follows the uh, a funny thing happened on in Nashville or on Broadway, page there was a, a whole thing with him going on. But I was playing in in his little outfit and and doing a small artist thing. But it, it was. I was getting my foot in the door, but not really. Um, but I get this text at, at five in the morning. Can you, can you cover for me on, on 11 to at the stage? Sure. I, I didn't know any material and who walks up. It's Harold, Harold Allen. Mm-hmm. And he was the first person I played a show with. And the only thing I really did well was kind of watch and follow. uh, <laughs> I really didn't do that well, um, but I watched and followed, and that's the gig. <laughs> that's the gig, and, and uh, I give I give him immense credit, uh, Brent and and him. He had he had amazing faith in me to just give me a chance, and and those shows with him were the the best networking anyone could do because mm-hmm. you, you got all these players coming in and out, and it kind of went from there
0: right on so you've been in nashville for how long
1: moved here in may of 2015 so it's a little over three okay
0: years i for some reason thought you were here for a, a lot longer period it feels of that way sometimes yeah, yeah. i guess it, it's weird the days the way they run me. in together and the memories and but it and there's no practice like it if you like if you want to play play the best you can go down there if you're trying to work some new stuff out like it's it's good. It's like sitting in a bullpen, I think, or pitching in a bullpen. Yeah. You're warming up and you're you're like you're you're zoning in on on your technique and your just your musicality whatever it calls for and if you get thrown I got I got called. I played a uh, B.B. King's the other week random call to do this private event out there and uh it was a very strange type of gig where I just had to play on the fly and they were like we were playing jazz standards and then we were playing all these other types of random just things for the crowd i have no idea what company what business meeting it was but it, it was it was just like another downtown gig that just threw a lot of new music at me uh, it was with will gustafson he was playing and we had never played a gig together and it was cool trading, yeah, he's trading and stuff yeah he's he's a good player um so yeah it is really uh you can't. Uh, you just learn that you either you can only take it so seriously down there, and yeah,
1: you know the the bar band thing. Throughout my life, there was always months of rehearsals preceding it, <laughs> and you're always building up for that one big show on the horizon. Uh, after that, there's usually like a two and a half year absence from performing because you've <laughs> expended all of this energy just to get to that point, but. You know, I, I will say this. Um, I did play with some some great bar bands and, and generated audience. And I was familiar with that. But I was playing mostly rocks rock songs. Um I, I'll be honest with you. The, you know, like Boys Round Here and Country Girl Shake It For Me. I heard those on the radio. And I, I thought, this is the stupidest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> I never would have imagined that I'd be playing it. Yeah. But I, I think... You know, one, I don't take it so seriously, and two, (laughs) the the real the way it comes to life to me is through uh, its live performance. You know, that's where it really comes. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I just I, (laughs) I would come down here. My sister moved here in two thousand eight, and I I would come downtown during that time and just sit in band to band, and that's what kind of gave me I could like I could play with these guys. You know, and and it just kind of it. That was one of the other elements about it. But yeah, I I, do. I take it seriously. No, am I serious as hell about it? Absolutely. Oh, totally. There you you go. That's the that's healthy. Yeah.
0: Um. When I was gearing up to move, uh, I I I changed my sights from L.A. to Nashville. I was. My brother lives out in LA he's he's a voice actor he's doing really great out there and and I've always just I've had family growing you know that I'd visit growing up out there um and would always visit maybe once a year and I always thought that hell I love this place I'm gonna come out here one day uh and I just stopped in Nashville thinking I'd spend a you know just check it out and on my way and I just never went I just stayed here I uh Before moving here, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go play some country music down there. So I learned a lot more Willie Nelson songs that I hadn't really picked up. Waylon Jennings songs. Uh, I I read this blog about the songs you need to learn in order to play on Broadway. And it was all Willie, Waylon, uh, Clint Black, Garth Brooks. uh, And it was all these classic songs. I was like, awesome. Because I'm tired of getting every time I play a gig, someone asks if I know... John Mayer or Jack Johnson was the only two requests you get up, <laughs> up in you know sure. suburban New York or even New York City like it's it was just very uh one dimensional to me for like what my audience who the audience I was playing up to right there too um so when I got down here it was like oh no we don't do that anymore we do these songs now and it's Jason Aldean and Luke Bryan, and I had never heard of these guys before I would moved to town. I mean, had you? I, I don't. I, did, I, I guess I, I didn't. Li- I yeah. had not listened to country radio. I only listened to classic country, like Love, all the classic stuff. And I was, yeah. I was. Um, i still very influenced by that. Huh? Yeah,
1: I still listen to country. Oh yeah, you know, and I loved it, but I just, I wasn't, I wasn't ever playing it. it it's very difficult in the Northeast to find any real country bands. I would have done it before, but there just wasn't really any mm-hmm. type of access to that. Well,
0: now there's a there's a bar in Brooklyn called Skinny Dennis, which has touring country bands, more of like the um, classic country revival type country music. Um, but yeah, I remember walking down Broadway and there was a bus and it had Luke Bryan's face on it, and I was like, "Who is this guy?" And who's and then I <laughs> and then I get some gigs and I'm like learning, uh, and then I get these you know set lists, the four hour set list. Uh and I'm looking and I'm checking out this music and I was just like I actually really kind of like what the guitar players are doing on these tracks. So I thought it was going to be more like like lighten up and play more tastefully, but it's really like no, like go go balls out on whether it's newer country music or older country music. If you go to Roberts and you see the Don Kelly band, every guitar player that he has playing with him is just like Balls to the wall. Yeah, they're ripping it. Flying. Um, And I really was, you know, I still am. But at that point in my life, that's all I wanted to focus on was getting my chicken picking together. Um, J.D. Simo was playing guitar for Don Kelly at the time, and that was, like, super um, mind-blowing at the time to see the proficiency that that guy had. I mean, he's still considered, I mean, even Bonamassa calls him the best in the world and he's just playing you know down on broadway like but nobody knows you know <laughs> you exactly. just, yeah. just walk in and he's one of the best guitar players in the world playing for tips um and he's killing it now
1: i think it's a very underrated you know when i i still hear this a lot that well all the good musicians are in midtown <laughs> i you know i i just have a hard time with that you know are there there's a lot you can criticize certainly about About downtown you know i've heard But
0: what's going on in midtown winners
1: losers and then what else i man you got me i i mean i'm i'm busy enough trying to do what i gotta do i i just don't focus on it i i hear a lot of the criticism and i understand it you know i understand that you know the the bachelorette party thing is not going to be
0: for everybody but that's i mean you can criticize that up until you've got bachelorette parties walking through your backyard in east nashville and in sure. midtown i mean the 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 bachelorette nashville thing is all over now yeah and i it doesn't bother me
1: girls out there having fun is wonderful to to watch and see from my perspective <laughs> i have no problem with it now are they all do they always act the best no but they, you know what neither do the bachelor parties and and a good 10 to 15% of the public anyways so so blaming it or projecting it all on just them, mm-hmm. particularly when it's such an engine of, of, uh, the downtown economy, it, it doesn't really do it for me.
0: Yeah. If you're not, if you're not working down there and you live here, I can understand why that's annoying to you, especially if you get stuck in traffic down there on the weekend and you're like, Oh, okay. and you look around, you're like, Whoa, it's like Vegas down here.
1: Or you've seen the changes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the evolution? It's not gone in the, in the way of autistry,
0: I guess. But you know. like, uh, Brooke and i we were trying to uh just have a nice dinner at chewy's on the corner in midtown and sit outside and we just saw a pedal tavern and a bachelorette like it's like a prison bus <laughs> and they like almost got in an accident at the stoplight sure. and it was just like woo's, woo's, like in this like quiet corner of midtown yeah in at seven right <laughs> you know yeah, I,
1: you know, I hear a lot about old Nashville. I can't speak to it. You know, I'm kind of the, the new breed. And, you know, I, I know that some of the players I initially began working with and when I didn't know any material uh, hated me because <laughs> you know, I represented everything that was wrong. Um, You know, I, I understand why. But at the same time, man, you know, Try, try doing other work. Try, try doing this full time anywhere else, man. It's not going to happen. I'm, I consider myself tremendously fortunate, so I, I have a hard time listening to what I consider very minimal complaints about about bachelorettes. When man, I can go down there and play for twelve hours to an audience
0: on a Monday. I, I think a lot of the criticism. There's two things that I think. I think a lot of the criticism comes because people are actually just insecure and a little jealous, and so they'll shit on your profession just because, if, especially if they're not as successful as you and they're trying to do the same thing as you. Yeah. Um, there's plenty of that type of behind the back type of stuff going on, uh, but also I I, I don't I, we don't give ourselves enough credit. Like it's a great gig, you know, to play for really electric, live crowds. Yeah. Um, whether they came to see you or not, um, I did a gig with Shayna G over at Nudie's about a year ago, uh, and the Foo Fighters were scheduled to play Bridgestone that night, but apparently there was some... Something happened, a personal thing with one of the members' families, so they canceled the Bridgestone concert. So there were people that. who... Had flown from Australia and Europe and all from all over the world to come see the Foo Fighters play in Nashville. And they were just in town on the Sunday morning uh, because they had just heard that they canceled. So they were like, well, let's just go get drunk <laughs> yeah. in downtown Nashville. And I actually was in a lift ride going down, and the lift driver was not looking and got us in an accident. <laughs> by the Omni Hotel which was like oh my god <laughs> like my my adrenaline was on yeah, full uh people kept buying shots of Patron for the band that day which <laughs> was kind of necessary sure but it was all Foo Fighters fans in the bar and it's playing with Shayna G, and she's got the real like rock thing going sure, on you know man, she's, she's from great. California and uh <laughs> and they were just we were just playing all the Foo Fighters songs we knew which was like several tunes and there was one point where this crowd erupted as if it was a Foo Fighters concert. That's great. And like the, like I almost was like, is this real? Like it's, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty awesome. You
1: know, it feels so good not to have to be responsible for generating audience, you know, in every bar band I was in, you know, you're, you're begging anyone. I'm begging people. I, I meet randomly come to the show and one of a hundred people, will come you know and and to to have the audience essentially be automatic to not have to worry about it and to have all my family want to come here yeah and able to check out a show no one's vacationing in pittsburgh (laughs) pittsburgh's a great town yeah i love pittsburgh but it's not no one's coming up there when i was working in akron and in cleveland in that area Mm -hmm. believe me no one, no one's coming. Scranton, the same thing. Yeah,
0: I mean, I've been out in Pittsburgh, and that's a great city. I've been out, and I've played in Philly, uh, and lived in New York. I've been out in Boston. I've been, I've lived in Europe, which is a great market for live music, and L.A. and stuff. But no, no city is as electric as nashville when it comes to the nightlife and what you could do here and your options for entertainment yeah and I mean, quality entertainment like yeah, I, I mean i don't need to go see <laughs> cirque du soleil every week like living in vegas yeah. or something you know i don't need to do anything like that but uh and we just saw we drove down to chattanooga on sunday and we saw dawes play do you know that band i saw your post on oh it. man yeah. that was yeah yeah that and and like Live on the Green, like Dawes was the best show I had seen all year. And then when uh, Dr. Dog played Live on the Green, it was also like a mind-blowing how how good a band could be live and just free, you know? Yeah. You go down to Live on the Green.
1: It's such a it's, – it's really an incredible thing, you know? And, and just from a musician's standpoint, I was going through – because I'm, I'm going to be moving here. And I went through my past schedule books. In 2015 – the year I moved here. Well, no, actually the year before I moved, 2014, I played 60 shows. Okay. In 2017 I played 475. <laughs> what? Now I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that look at what is provided here. I couldn't conceive of playing that much. That's mind blowing to me. I couldn't conceive of it. Yeah. Now, I that was way too much, I'll be honest with you. There were yeah. some of those shows I'm not sure I was there. Physically,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, just that, zombieing
1: my way through.
0: But well, my brother, my brother says something like, "He's a voice actor, so he gets paid for the project. But he gets, you know, if you do a project, that's a national commercial, or if it gets on this network, you know, you're going to be paid well for your work, way more than we're ever going to get paid for like an hourly gig." Right. And my brother, I told him how many gigs I did, and he's like, "Well, if I worked as much as you do, I'd be a multimillionaire." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: that was, that was something, you know, on my daily morning scribbling sessions. Uh, I was, yeah, you know, I just. You wake the, up and you write? Every day. Yeah. Oh, dude. Yeah, it's Respect. part of the morning routine. Yeah, It's uh, meditation, reading, writing, and and uh, practice. So I, you know, I just pick up some sticks and diddle around. Just kind of get the blood flowing. It's been something. I've, so
0: it's a mixture of writing, practicing.
1: Yeah, it's all part of morning routine. I call it earning the X. Yeah. Um, because I, I have a, a schedule book, and I put that X every day. And so those those four things are at the the points of each of, of, of the X. So it's just something I have to do because I don't want to break the chain. Yeah, man. And, um, you know, look, I'm not maniacal about it. There are days I miss one. I try to put you don't exercise have a in, break in the few. Yeah, I mean, control. I used to, you know, when I first started doing it, I was just incredibly you know, picky about yeah. it. I had to, but you know, you, you begin to find pockets of time where you can do a little bit of reading or you can write something and, right. and it, it begins to fill itself out naturally through habit. It's something I have to do now just as a way of approaching the day, particularly in days, you don't feel like getting up on a stage somewhere and doing the, doing the hustle. It just, it just clears my mind out and allows me to focus. It's, it's really all, all that it is. But, uh, but yeah that was just you know just the the inequity of where the money is flowing and how much the musicians efforts get compensated for and the and the, the gap in that well
0: did you see that in the rolling stone released a statistic report that all the money uh, 12% of the money generated in the music industry goes to musicians
1: Right, you know, and the streaming has done no favors that way, uh, certainly. And I'm a fan
0: of it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I I like being able to have music at my fingertips like that. But as someone who's a contributing writer and, uh, you know, recording professional, you you it's hard to tell if your music's going to come to you. Um, I mean, if your money's going to come to you through streaming.
1: Right, you know. Yeah, I mean, even just if you were to post your stuff on Apple, I didn't know this that they'll essentially dictate the price at which you will sell. I wanted, I thought, when putting out my dumb little record, that I'm competing against free, mm-hmm. so I wanted to put it at four ninety nine on on iTunes
0: for how many songs? Ten. Ten. Yeah.
1: Because again, I, I'm trying. No one knows oh, who but I am. You
0: have to do a, a
1: dollar a song. It was it was nine ninety nine or ten yeah, ninety nine or be, something yeah. like it had to be. Yeah. And I called their customer service, and I went through many layers of customer service, mm-hmm. and they will not relent.
0: It has uh, to be ninety nine cents a track. It
1: Has to be that.
0: I guess if you had a mm-hmm. website like a Bandcamp page, you could you could charge more. Certainly,
1: a uh, CD Baby and all those other right. subsidiaries of that, but. At the time, iTunes was the was more of the thing. I was I was fixated on that because that's what my music all went through, mm. uh, and still does to a large degree uh, because I still pay for it. I, I know I'm the last one, but I still believe in paying for it.
0: So you use iTunes as your streaming service,
1: um, Spotify, some yeah, okay. but I, mostly I just buy it and I listen to it. Th- oh. I like to I like to have it a certain way. I'm just old school. Yeah, that's you know, cool and. Uh, and also because I know the cost of doing it. And when you've put your money down, you know, uh, for the photography, for the all the packaging and all of that stuff, it it def- it you begin to see the economy of music differently. And, and so paying for it became important to me in a way that it generally hadn't been before, you know. Okay.
0: Yeah. So, I like having the uh, it on Spotify, and then if I want to buy a physical copy or have a copy, I, I usually try to get the uh, the vinyl.:
1: Yeah, and it does open up a lot of debates of what's YouTube other than you know a, a, a revitalized version of MTV back in the day, or oh yeah, uh, same with a lot of the but streaming, it's, it's you know? Is it radio it. <laughs> you know and, and you'd hear things on the radio and go buy it. Yeah, uh, the problem with free as far as I see it is that there's no personal investment on anyone's part. When you are putting down your money, you're now invested. You you're a, an active part of that. Yeah. If it's free, it's disposable. And so there's no real connection to much of what from what I can tell unless unless you're actively investing in it. And that lack of investment it, it it's going to create more of the uh, it's hard to it's hard to stuff. call
0: yourself a fan of the artist too if you don't really have something of theirs that you can call your own i mean it's 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 weird for me to say that cuz i actually don't think i own any tom waits physical records but for mm. some reason he's my you know he's a, one of my favorite songwriters of all time I'm a huge fan i know his music inside and out but that's just one person i've never really actually i now that i'm talking about it i really do want to get mule variations on vinyl definitely do i have it you have it on vinyl oh, man i'm telling you i
1: saw him in 2008 it was the glitter and glitter and doom tour mm-hmm. saw him at jones hall in houston man still to this day one of the best shows that man puts every ounce of himself into syllables it was <laughs> one of the most incredible performances I'm talking about a real performance, just digging in and, oh, yeah, and man. reaching these notes and and the way the, the songs were presented, uh make it rain, you know, the, the groove of it, the way he performed it, uh is still one of the most uh awe inspiring shows I've ever seen.
0: Well I did the one thing I did pay for was to see his uh film, the live film from the um oh, what's it called? Uh it's not Blow Up. That's a different film. It's it's a live version. It's during the Rain Dogs, uh, Swordfish Trombones sessions, uh, Frank's Wild Years, like that whole time. Oh, and it's a live concert footage of that tour put back to back these songs. And you just you're there with this guy sweating and you're sitting in the movie theater. I was at the Belcourt when I saw it. Big time, it's called. Tom waits. Big time. Check this out, man. There's also a. You can get the uh, recording of it on Spotify. Like they have the they have the soundtrack. Checking that out. Oh man, like I think I literally was crying for 45 minutes straight in the beginning to be like, oh my god, this guy, this is never. There's nobody's gonna do this again.
1: Yeah, that type of thing, you know. Just the individual nature of it—it's so unique. I, I just—I don't know if anything like that is going to come around ever again, and that's why it was so important to me at the time to see him because he just doesn't tour that much. Yeah. I really don't know how he's able to get through a show singing as he as <laughs> no. he does,
0: anyways. Yeah, he's just—he's—he's he's giving you everything from the yeah. from the depths, and you and it'll put you in a state of mind that you've really are not prepared for. It just kind of. It either elevates or it just puts you in the it puts you in a space and you're in the Tom Waits space. Yeah, he creates he really created an
1: atmosphere in that room. Mm-hmm. It was its own little world. You're in this back alley and this thing's going down. Um, and his son was the drummer, a phenomenal player, right. and they're pulling out all kinds of things to generate these sounds and and it was it was a lot more stripped down than I thought it would be, but at the same time, you're still you're still able to get pockets of these weird sounds and 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 do all of these things and it, it, it was by no means a, a greatest hit show it right. didn't have to be though yeah he was probably doing uh, a lot of
0: his later stuff
1: yeah you know it, it was it was a mixture you know he's throwing in but I'll tell you it, it was still just staggering how he could just perform like that two and a half hours just digging deep yeah
0: nice did he talk
1: yeah he told uh in fact uh there was a live album that was released and uh i can't remember blanking on some of the stories but a number of uh, a couple of of the stories he told in houston were were featured on that album unfortunately none i don't recall any of the songs making it but a few of the stories did okay and uh yeah it was it was just it was a great night Wish I could see him again.
0: There's a Out there. There's a story he tells in Big Time where he's playing the piano. He's just like tinkering around in this weird atonal, crooner way. And uh, he's telling stories and he's just like, you know, I draw right down the street from here. If you keep driving and you turn left, uh, there's a there's a store and it's got eight X's on it. <laughs> <laughs> An adult, adult store. He's like, now one X, I understand. Two X's, okay. Three X's, I-, I see what you mean. But eight X's, girls without skin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you know.
1: um I can't remember. It was like Henry Ford's cough was on sale in a in a glass jar. He was talking about this. Uh-huh. And, I mean, just, you know, yeah. offbeat stories, yeah. you know, that really, I, I had heard that Heath Ledger used him as the basis for the Joker. Oh, my God. And it wasn't until I went and saw the movie that I really oh. saw that, you know, you remind me of my father. <laughs> and he kind of has oh, that, yeah. you know, well, let me tell you a story. You know, it, it was the same type of thing
0: Um, I heard him speak the Shelly Mann the drummer who played on a couple of his records uh, he I read an unofficial biography of Tom Waits back in the day called Low Side of the Road and uh, yeah I have it you have that? Mm -hmm. great book Mm -hmm. love that book yeah Uh, Shelly Mann said he's either the youngest old guy I know or oldest young guy I know yeah yeah, it's just just a just, a, just yeah. So. Total total, whatever. It's not just the character; it's like his whole being is just something out yeah. of a, out of a out of a movie. That's some movie somewhere, man. Yeah,
1: you know that's that's real genius. Mm-hmm. You know those guys are coming from angles that just people can't touch.
0: And his and his inspiration was Bob Dylan, which you can you can put sure. those two to, two and two together. But uh, he definitely was way more experimental. Went went the yeah. you know Captain Beefheart influenced kind of route. Well, I just uh, a New York theater,
1: yeah, that you know just able to incorporate worlds into the music, mm-hmm. a, a, a real you know sonic visuals in a, in a, a certain respect, you mm-hmm. know, and I I think that to me was one of the 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 biggest draws is that he could just create worlds within the grooves of those songs and that that to me is an astounding thing.
0: What's your favorite record?
1: Um, Mule Variations. Yeah. yeah you know, cuz it's just a great nighttime listen. It's mm-hmm. got
0: some weird, you know, what's he doing in there? You know, I, <laughs> but, I always think about it when I walk into the studio with my neighbors.
1: Yeah. What is he doing? What's he doing, is in he there? doing in, What's he doing in there? It's you know, um but you know still you know my favorite song of his is pasties in a g-string just because it's just a jazz drummer going off behind him uh-huh. and he's you know cleavage cleavage <laughs> just a whole bunch of just uh you know yeah. weird things yeah over a, a mad jazz rhythm yeah you know and it it's just no one else could do something like that and just the title of the song makes me laugh every time
0: i uh was- when I I guess how old, this must have been 10 years ago, um, I was in Barcelona just on a whim and I went to the uh national um art museum and I had bone machine in my earbuds walking around and watch- looking at all the um uh what middle art from the middle ages, yeah, and it's just like death. Like just big paintings of death, yeah. and listening to Bone Machine during that It's just fitting. like really, I just remember doing that. And it really stuck with me.
1: I wish I had had music during that time. We I went there, uh, went to that cathedral that's going to be under construction for the next yeah. five hundred years, and um, I I just I really like the vibrance of just kind of the. Just kind of the culture out on the street, you know. Everything's kind of alive and moving. It's uh, culturally alive on the street, much more, mm-hmm. much more than here, which seems to be, you know, in, in building. It's tucked away. It's filed away. There. It's just kind of out, and I, mm-hmm. I really like that about the the culture there. Just kind of walking around for the little time we had.
0: Yeah, this a beautiful city. Just yeah, like sitting on a corner and drinking a cup of coffee and watching the world go by on yeah. the Ramblas. I miss it.
1: One of these days, I'll, I'll see a, a soccer match over there. In Real, uh, yeah. Real Madrid, we're, I guess, plays there. We're
0: getting older. How do we make these things happen
1: if we're getting busier and getting older? <laughs> you know, for the longest time, I was so fixated on just trying to work here that it's it came at the expense of travel. It was the the only complaint I've ever had is that it's very confining i i i knoxville is three hours away it might as well be three days away sometimes <laughs> i got uh, m- uh, many friends out there i just don't get to see because i'm so fixated on yeah on the work here and and that would be the biggest achievement not necessarily working but having the flexibility yeah and not having to worry if work will be there the next day well
0: yeah you know we do work in the we're pretty much we have to have our physical presence in order to make our money. You know, this is not a, yeah. this is a, you know, you get what you put in, what comes out and comes back to you is what you put in. Cause you're a musician and you're, you got to show up and you got to perform. So it's like any type of, I think that, and I, I don't know if people at large,
1: when they view the downtown area, know the real essence of competition. And I only say that because I've been in both worlds. No one was going to sit in my chair as the leader of the group, and attempt to do my job as well as me, or show their skills for the group and attempt to to get work. Um, there wasn't a series of people clamoring for it behind me. The group was what it was. We hired a certain way, yeah, and that was it. Mm-hmm. That's not the way that world works down there. There's always someone. Yeah, and you begin to feel that in a very tangible way, in a, in a way that you don't get in in the structured, more corporate world. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be other cashiers in your job. There may be other uh, specialists in in other cubicles. But, but there's there a no sense of job for security. The same type of thing all the time.
0: Well, I was talking to a bartender downtown, and she was telling me like it's. It's the, the worst she's seen it in that culture down there now because there's so many people that want to bartend downtown mm-hmm. that they'll just, if you piss off a manager, if you piss off the higher ups, just a little bit. doesn't even have to be a big thing. You're gone.
1: Right. And this is, and, you know, I was, I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, you know, a friend of mine, I, I don't remember what the dust up was, but it, it didn't seem to be something that couldn't be apologized for and moved on with uh and it's livelihood it's gone immediately yeah. gone yeah that's a fine line to walk and you know and that's no why HR. I
0: don't and that's why I don't take it crazy seriously because I have a I think I have a healthy sense of detachment to that type of gig like if you don't want to like I wouldn't want to be in a band that doesn't want to hire me you know what I mean right. so um it's just, like, I have a good way of, like, okay, that chapter's done, I'm, go, I'm moving on to this thing, and it just, I, I, I think it, it's good, because if you are caught, and you're playing in the same thing, and you're doing it over and over and over again, it could get redundant, and uh, unless you're just finding something new, or, like, you, now you're playing with a click, now you're playing with an a uh, Roland uh, sample path you like ch- you're, you're yeah, yeah you're adding new creative things into it have to mm-hmm.
1: but i, I also want to you know i want to grow but i think in addition to that um i i'm starting a business and it's called made in nashville and i want to take what we do downtown there's a big market for it elsewhere we get inquiries all the time do you guys travel would you guys but there's very little in terms of a mechanism set up To take what we do out.
0: So what is your. uh, What's your goal with this company?
1: Uh, Have a a set group of. Dependable players. That we can go and do. Live events. Regionally. In other states. Mm -hmm. Across the country. Uh, We're closing in on on securing the equipment. And trailers so we're not beholden to. to Rentals and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. Lights and, and things like that. But. You know, also, you know, creating an infrastructure through which we can be fairly paid, you know, working, you know, four hours generating the revenue we do for less than minimum wage. It's it's obviously not fair, but that's the that's the business and you can pack the bananas somewhere else. You don't like it. Yeah. I want to create an infrastructure where people can be paid fairly. I'm not going to be able to do that within the confines of the business structures down there. I have to look to do it in a way that's my own because, you know, I, I don't really know the relationship uh, of management to the stage in that. I don't know how many of them have been walked in our shoes. Mm-hmm. I really don't get an opportunity to talk with many of them. my guess would be not many. Right. Or there wouldn't be such a, a disparity. Mm-hmm. So, you know i think really i'm in an, in a good position to at least attempt to offer something better we've done some shows we we traveled here and there but the it, the work is sporadic the the real goal is consistency something you know adding to you you have you have the maiden nashville gigs you got the downtown work you'll have other things recording it can be a multifaceted thing for the select few dependable people mm-hmm. who I know will come in, deliver a bang up job for the higher end prices being yeah. charged.
0: Yeah, you man, know. that's a good idea. If you can, if you can find those avenues and those people to talk to that do the talent buying and you can get in there with and have a good relationship with them, then you can, you can make a successful business
1: and people are still going to get married. So, so you know, as long as we can, you know, offer something beyond just the DJ, right. Uh,
0: See, I'd rather just be a DJ
1: <laughs> for obvious I'd rather reasons. Just play the these music days, I like. These days, it makes sense. Uh, the way music's going, it certainly makes sense, and I have no problem with people wanting that. But I do think there's uh, something you're going to get with a live band that oh, totally. a DJ won't, yeah, just can't offer you. And for those who are willing to invest in that, and certainly there are there are some. It's a small population, but they're they're there. Um, we can offer something that the typical corporate or wedding band wouldn't be able to do. We throw a party every day down there, mm-hmm. so why not bring it? Why not? Every, people travel all over to be a part of it. Why not make it a part of your best day? And that's the the angle through which I'm I'm moving along with this. Um, it's exciting and scary all at the same time because you. <laughs> In order to move a single step, it requires a thousand actions. You begin to see, why well, I should have just gone to college and, and just been taking it. It feels like an easier route, even though college is tremendously difficult in and of itself. Mm-hmm. It is no joke. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't good at it, uh, but I can see why. Because the path is laid out much more clearly for you that way than when you're trying to chop down the trees and forge the path on your own. It, it just is tremendously difficult. But But,
0: you want, but you. I think the you got to go and forge the path on your own.
1: I need difficult. I have a strong masochistic streak. I think that's.
0: You want, maybe it's not like a triumph thing. Like you want to, you know, you know, become victorious at the end of whatever this is that we do. Um, Emerge victorious at the end of it. I think musicians want what everybody else wants. They want a sense of financial security. They want to be proud of the work they do and they want to be able to, um, be able to support a family or whatever they choose to yeah. do with their, it's, it's pretty simple.
1: Well, even beyond that, there's two things. One, you know, in this line of work in my old line of work, no one was ever clapping for me when I walked through the door, uh, in my old line of work. Okay? Yeah. Ever. Yeah. But, you know, the, the other part of it is, you know, I just, I see a way it could be done better. And rather than complain on Facebook, which is the going thing, I don't I don't believe in that. You're either going to step up and look to do something. Yeah. Or you need to hush. And I am going to look to step up and do something. And I, I don't know if it'll work, but, you know... It'll it'll go as far as I'm willing to push. I think, and and we've already had some initial successes. It's just a matter of expanding upon it now. So
0: the people who complain on Facebook, I just can't. I can't. Like I, I almost get am enticed by. Oh, this is going to be a rant about down working in downtown Nashville. What <laughs> what what do you have to say about this? Okay, that was predictable and. Wow, you're just like a negative person. You're airing your you're airing your bullshit on social media, yeah. which seems to be the norm these days. People air their bullshit. I have not had the Facebook app on my phone in like a year or something, and I guess Facebook cut on to the fact that I don't use the app, so now they text me. <laughs> I get a text. Now That's this has just started happening this week. Hmm. Facebook texts me when people like something on my profile or in a group that I've posted in just the past. I to entice you back. To enti- mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, click here to get the app. Click here. I'm like, oh my God, you're actually texting me and using up my, yeah. my texts.
1: Well, Facebook for me is a valuable tool in that it allows me to see where someone's coming from when I haven't met them. Uh, particularly walking <laughs> into new environments. If, if their Facebook pages are, are overtly political, I don't care what side, just, just, um, yeah, militantly political. Yeah I'm probably not going to associate if, if and, and if it's overtly if it's if it's racist in any way, you know, you, you see that a lot. Oh yeah, that should disqualify anybody. You, you, from... you're out the door. I, I have a, a it's it's carried me through all of for uh, it's carried me through a long time and it's politics, religion, racial issues, somebody's mama. I'm not discussing those on any (laughs) online forum at any time uh, because they cause the biggest fights.
0: Yeah, and and then your day is ruined if you get pulled down into some online argument.
1: Well, politics is a game where nobody's right. Well, except for you. (laughs) Yeah,
0: except for what you're airing out on Facebook right now.
1: Yeah, and everyone's wrong. Oh, that's you know? such a shame. But, you know, man, honestly, no one's cutting to Drummer Boy on Fox News to get his take <laughs> on international fiscal policy, okay?
0: You know, no one's cutting to me. Well, yeah, Um, someone, I guess, posted, it was funny because there was, like, some guy, like, posted on the Gig Finder page and said, "Uh, I'm having trouble figuring out why people won't hire me. I'm always on this page and I'm always posting stuff, but I don't know why people won't hire me. And then, and then I saw, like, the first comment was like, well, I just looked at your profile, and I wouldn't hire you because all you do is post political rants. Sure, um, I can't take that political rant stuff. And then I see that person in person, and I'm like, I know all of your politics and religious beliefs, and how staunch you are about these things, and you, and I know how much you hate. Me, <laughs> like, yeah. and for what I believe, I disagree with your political beliefs to the core. But I, I still would like to maintain like a gentleman relationship with like yeah. professionals in town, but rational the, conversation, rational and and a sense of professionalism. But when I see you like a week later after reading these crazy posts, it makes me feel uncomfortable.
1: Well, that, and we're in the music business you in within any business structure it's not exactly good business to alienate 50% of people before you're even up and running that's just kind of a lousy business practice so <laughs> if you're going to be talking about the the big 4 for me uh you know you're you're going to be someone who's going to just automatically disqualify most people yeah. before you're even getting started and
0: uh, what, do you, what you are what are you trying to do you're trying to win an argument are you trying to just troll people Are you and you're trying to push people's buttons kind of like a like It's a probably all asshole? the above
1: with a, a, a myriad of other factors. Yeah. Um, you know, I... It, allo- it allows
0: you to vent. It's a way of venting, but it's just like, oh man, you don't know the... Anx- like, I'll get... That's why I don't have the app anymore. It's like the anxiety yeah. that I get from knowing that my inner... Something I think or my opinion is out there for people to judge. I just like... Don't, I can't do it. I'd rather have a... I'd rather... Have a podcast and actually have a conversation with someone like this sure um you know uh, politics is best
1: discussed that way I think and, and really you know unless the group is three and below you know I, I, because then it's <laughs> then it's just people shouting yeah. and trying to overwhelm others opinions and yeah. with their own and and you can't really i I don't mind if you disagree i I just want a, a good coherent argument yeah and and that's why it's difficult it's not that i won't talk about them i just won't it often takes a novel to break down a complex issue
0: well Mm -hmm. ever since i was a teenager my dad has had a radio show and it's a political radio show no kidding Mm -hmm. he still has it um and so i've always known that politics is best Done like when you're actually in a conversation, talked about when it's a conversation between two people. Be- so it was him and the- he and the co host had really opposing political views. Um, and that's how it started. It's now, like a crossfire type of kinda, thing. You kind know? of, yeah. But then, um, then they ended up just actually having to, uh, not do the show anymore because they would get really heated I'm at I'll each other. You. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is kinda cool. Which is kinda awesome. Um Ooh, that's my dad's so great. So but my dad's still the host of the show. It's just okay. like this show now. Yeah. Um but yeah, like and then you know social media comes out and it and it's has somehow devolved into just venting your political beliefs. Um it's just it's just a waste of time. I mean, there's only so much time in the day yeah. and there's so much only even after hours you get to live ran- on this planet. Ranting
1: your your vote still counts the same as the other guys yeah you know and
0: yeah uh, (laughs) oh man i almost i almost i was just like uh leaving my gig today and there was some drunk douchebag trying to be all macho for the the girl bartender there could not handle that we were having a conversation and so he had to like try to like just ribbed me a little bit and he was just the worst type of drunk and i was like oh my god am i really gonna have to lose my shit down in the basement bar down here and uh and i was like i just want to go home and this guy's still doing it and then my food came out to go and i was like thank you see ya and he's like what man you what do you do what do you do for work and uh (laughs) i work here what you're a musician i was like oh (laughs) calling my livelihood and i was just like i gotta go it's inappropriate for someone who gigs at a, at Paradise Park when that place was in business. I really had to not see red sometimes with the yeah. the douchebaggery that was going on in there. And, but at least we knew the security people, and I've definitely called yeah. on security plenty of times to do what I you know I would do if I didn't have to call security. It's just
1: it's just alcohol, man. You know, I, I was friends with a lawyer in in State College. We still know them very well. Um, he said, look, if, if, uh, if it wasn't for alcohol, I'd have no business. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. that's what generates a lot of the business. Well, he the... said, if everyone was high, uh, you know, smoking weed, you'd have no problems. Uh, it's the alcohol that, that generates a lot, most of the business that I get coming through the door I and mean, it's yeah, you know, it's just what it is. It man. is
0: big business. I mean, those bars make a killing.
1: We're in the alcohol business. I I say we're in the music business,
0: but only in that on
1: stage we're playing music. Really, you know, we're in the alcohol business. Yeah,
0: I mean that's what the venues are are making their money with. Yeah,
1: it's. I mean, you know, look, it's uh, it's it's a great outlet, but um, the system is not set up to be in support of. I I use the term uh, disposable necessity. That's essentially what uh, I, I think, at least culturally, that's how we're perceived um, and, and, and treated as a disposable necessity. Um, there will always be one more, uh, and it's just kind of how, how it is. So I, I have to make sure I maintain that always in the back of my mind, um, you know, because they're just not going to see it my way at the end of the day so I just try I try to keep my head down and just calm
0: yeah (laughs) well you meditate before you gig
1: have to have to I'd I'd be
0: a basket case if I didn't so when did you discover meditation um
1: it's it's always kind of been in the back of my mind to try Mm -hmm. but um I'm a big Howard Stern fan Baba Booey had to throw that in. Um, and he had mentioned it. It was something that. Uh, and as I began to look into it, you begin to see that a lot of successful people in a variety of fields all meditate. It's essentially just a way of bringing your thoughts down so they don't overwhelm you with stress or hmm. anxieties. Yeah. Or things you will like get carried this. away by your thought. Right. So just controlling your thoughts. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld was another one, a huge advocate oh, of the one meditate? that I do. Uh, it's called Transcendental Meditation. Oh, that's what you TM. do. TM, yeah,
0: yeah. My dad was into that, <clears throat>
1: and um, so I, I was kind of reaching the end of my line. You know, I mean, you got thirty people you're overseeing, you got thirty problems. I mean, you you internalize it, whether you right. At least I did. Yeah. I am not one of those people so talented at the at the management game that I don't. Take on at least some of it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man! I
0: mean, like getting in that like little spat with that that asshole like that stuck with me for like forty five yeah, minutes. It lingers. Yeah. And I mean, I guess it still is, i some talking yeah. about it, you know.
1: And I think you you carry just inequ- inequities within you, just rage, and oh, yeah. that's a good fuel. But it comes out in ways that are not healthy sometimes too in an argument with your girlfriend, right. wife, uh, other people, customer service. So it was just getting to a point where I was like, I've got to find something, you know, uh, the religious side isn't speaking to me. No offense to anyone. It just, you know, and I had to find something for me. So, um, I began looking at TM. There was a teacher uh, named Marty Kaplan. It was a four day process. And uh, the first time that I did it, man, it was like, it was kind of like the only analogy I can make is when you're flying and you're descending and you have your thoughts are like those clouds and the plane's going through those clouds and then you're below that Uh and below those, those thoughts is just calm it's it's almost like you're in a pool and you can kind of look up in a way in okay. a strange way within yourself and just kind of be below this wave of chatter in your
0: head. That's interesting that you you th- you you think it's like the way you express it you see it as below the clouds whenever I'm in a highly meditative state which is few and far between these days I used to do it religiously. Yeah. And then I would feel like oh this feels like a plain soaring above the clouds and you just have yeah. the sunshine. You know, it's, getting it's just above interesting below, that yeah. you, we were we talking about the same thing, but yeah. you're, you, it's interesting that you said below because I always thought it was like oh, you're just over the clouds. It's just, it's just the way
1: it feels to me in my experience with it. Because you can over, you're at a point where you can
0: oversee and your your thoughts are quieting down to a, a degree where you actually make a little more sense and you're just, you're, you're not analyzing, you're just observing your thought and it's some other, uh, it's another version of you that's overseeing the version of you that usually
1: is at the wheel, right? The, your your internal conversation is always very present within you, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. And meditation, it's not; it's at a distance now, and it's not present. And that's the place that I can reach a, a, a real calm, a calm that. It, what I what I kind of equate it to is after I started doing it, I would feel the anger, but it was like waves against a massive rock face. It used to be those waves of anger would come over the rock face and spill over into a variety of things. Now they just kind of brush up against that. Do they occasionally spill over? Yeah. Of course, I'm human. But for the most part... But you part,
0: recognize it. So you recognize yeah. your anger to a degree where you have it somewhat at bay. It, it
1: just was brought down and within that when you're able to get past a lot of the chatter things become clearer to you Mm -hmm. and that began to happen professionally i probably wouldn't be here now if it weren't for the meditation i started doing preceding all of this it just before you moved to nashville yeah it began clarify, but also to deal with the the pettiness the childishness the nonsense the egos the inadequacies yeah on and on within myself or coming from other people if there wasn't a way to get back to my truck and calm down I, I don't know how a lot of a lot of guys down there do it and I, it, <laughs> it, it's made me understand why a lot of bitterness is there because oh, yeah. there's no way of really dealing with a lot of the emotional issues you're bound to confront in that environment and I, I just it, it's been an invaluable tool it's it's just a tool it's just a technique it's not religious it's not political it's not anything other than a technique um and it sounds you know kind of you know she-she to to talk <laughs> she, she. about I, I get that you know it, it just the the concept of all this no, might turn people I, away I, I
0: think that our generation should be proponents and should advocate for more awareness of how amazing a tool meditation is i think i think our whatever revolution that is or the people our age or, or younger like to know the benefit of meditation it's like knowing the benefit of yoga or swimming or or eating um mostly vegetables like there's there's a very um real benefit to meditating and to meditating regularly yeah um it's it's kind of it's just the easiest form of exercise. It's all about right. um, allowing allowing things to be what they are and accepting that for what they are, and then feeling feeling just how you are and how you fit into the present moment. That's how I see it.
1: Yeah, just not and, fighting
0: and, against anything.
1: Yeah, you know, and and really, it's it's effortless. It, at least it at least for me, and it should be when practiced correctly. You know, uh, you, the, the term mantra is something that's, that's used a lot and I, th- I think kind of cheapens what it actually is. It's nothing more than a, a repeated sound. Um, and
0: the mantra is there to put you in the state, but then there's a point where you have to let the mantra go. Is that correct? Once, no, you, once you achieve a state?
1: It, it's just something that it, it just becomes a rhythm. It just I, yeah, pretty soon it's like a a, a vibration, you know.
0: The o- the only I never used a mantra for meditation personally, mm-hmm. um, but I have used a mantra. I do it, it kind of comes out of nowhere when yeah. I'm snowboarding. I I re- I repeat a mantra while I snowboard. Um, I can see that it 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 focuses you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, a lot of people will
1: say whenever I talk about it. Oh, I can't do that because my mind's too crazy. As if everyone's internal life is somehow less crazy than yours. You know? <laughs> Believe me, sweetheart. Everyone's got a crazy inside mind. The the thing about that is that it allows you to move slowly below it. Um, everyone's mind's going nuts. We're all uh complicated and at conflict inside. Yeah. Well so, peop
0: people tell me that they think I have such a calm demeanor and that I'm you do. very yeah. You I know, mean, I'm just as crazy as anybody, and like I got, I got a mind that spins out of control at times, and I can just stare off in the distance and just be completely lost in thought.
1: So you're a total psycho, is what you're telling me right now. <laughs> I need to slowly back away.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, I'm not a I mean, you, you do,
1: you do, and that's a great thing. It's 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 a great thing about you. I uh, I am not uh, as calm most of the time. I I tend to be much more forceful, and you know. Just and it's just a byproduct, I think, of my parents. Once they, we dig our teeth and we got to go and get it. Oh you know? yeah, and it's just
0: everything's a byproduct of your parents. Yeah, I used to. I had this theory that your inner thought is just your your parents. Like your inner monologue is just your parents talking.
1: Well, <laughs> like put, to a degree, degree, you know. They installed all the hardware. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and <laughs> so they know what buttons to push, don't they? <laughs> um, but you know, look. Th- the the best things of my parents I mean are in me and it's it's great we we pass those and they we all you know I don't have kids but if I did I would pass certain iniquities down through the generations as they've been passed through to me um I think and, and all of those things are unique in every person what what those problems iniquities are for me I just had to find a way to to deal with it uh, and, you know, just have different outlets. I, I was, the working out stuff only carried me so far. Right. The writing stuff for playing the, the physical exertion of, of playing for hours. It only carries you so far. You've got to have, I think everyone does some kind of, of spiritual foundation or element that is outside of and beyond that, you know, physical yeah. type of place or world. I
0: just think getting in a meditative space is whether or not like we, we, we get in a meditative space just by playing music. I think yeah that, that oh, like, sure that, that has a, like the effortless side of like, Oh, like there's some times where I'm, if I'm playing through a song and I'm just feeling every little element of it. And I know, I don't care if the audience gets what I'm doing or whatever. I just, I know that this is how I want to Like, um, it, it's a way of, I guess music is a way of expressing my meditation.
1: Here's another way of looking at it for me. And it really boils down to something I picked up in a book, uh, called the secret. And, and it's carried me. It it distills everything down is that thoughts become things. And it's something I even have in my, my wedding ring, TBT thoughts become things. It's just to recognize your thoughts because everything here is a result of thoughts. Someone had to, this was once a plan on a sheet of paper, this amp, this guitar, it's all yeah. here because someone thought it, right? Designed it and then created. Everything here, everything we're doing, it So you got to keep your thoughts straight. You got to keep your mind straight.
0: Oh yeah, if you go if you go off the rails then you can you can start coming undone professionally. The, the line is and, very thin. Yeah.
1: You know, the line between us and and some of those guys you see out there on the street mm-hmm. mumbling to themselves, it's not it's not that far elite, man. Well, so.
0: with the amount of anxiety that's going on these days just in just the way that the world is now but also maybe it's social media maybe it's just everybody is starting to worry about where we're headed but I've never met so many people now that have such anxiety issues
1: um yeah I think it's I think it's furthered by social media I was having this conversation with Lisa my wife uh yesterday morning and I said you know because we were talk- we were talking about my morning routine. She had a bunch of things on her mind and interrupted my morning routine. I have to have my morning routine. And I told her, I said, I said, look, I have a rule. There's to be no social media before I go through this, the morning routine. Yeah. What I found was when when I picked up my phone waking up and began looking at it, it was immediate anxiety. <laughs>
0: does Immediate. It, isn't picking up your phone when you immediately wake up? Doesn't it? Don't you think people need like I? I'm sure that's so common with anybody sure. is that they pick up their phone. Still do it. I, I do it. Um, is that it? Kind of like it's a way of almost like starting your computer. Like mm-hmm. okay, now we're now now something has begun. The day's begun. I've looked at my phone. It's fucked yeah. up because you really. You should wake up and then you should maybe do what you do, write down your your thoughts or a dream journal, do some sun salutations or something that's not taking you into the public sector, the public yeah. social forum.
1: I still sometimes wake up and begin looking at the news. I want to see what's going on. I've got a series of yeah. uh, news apps that I'll look at just, to, you know, because in at U- University of Tennessee, I study journalism. I'm still... I'm still kind of a fiend for how journalism works, how things are reported, and that's interesting to me. So I have a a variety of news apps that I'll I'll peruse just to kind of get a general sense of what's going on from a variety of different standpoints. But I find even that, particularly uh, given the state of, of the news on certain days, contributes to the same anxiety the social media thing does. So it's no phone. And I, I told her, I, I was like, look, just when you wake up, just write down some of the things that are going through your head for a second. Just just put them down. If it's something you must immediately speak to me about, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. Of course I'll talk to you. But most of the time, I would say 90, 95% of the time, it's three or four things you're worried about. Right. And it's it can wait till I go through the motions of my early morning Mm -hmm. and uh i don't know if she'll take me up on doing it but i I think it's i think it's a byproduct of what i do just scribble it out you know that's out of your system uh,
0: it's so so hard to convince people to do meditation it's hard it's hard to convince people because you're basically telling them to go to therapy
1: well i've learned (laughs) i've learned i can't give anyone advice they have to come to you if they come to me I will tell them if they're not coming to me. I've really and that's that's a, a complete odds with with who I am really, which I'll just lecture you to death. I've really had to learn to yeah. <laughs> I still. am trying to learn to not do that because people are going to go yeah. the opposite way every time.
0: Well, yeah, I I I really don't lecture people because, or I, I, first of all, I don't think I'm a huge authority on certain things, but um, oh, I'm it genius. has to come. It has to come from inside. You have to yeah, want to do it yourself. Exactly. No one's going to hold your hand for the rest of your life. Like you gotta, you have to take responsibility and accountability for your own self. So if you think you're having certain issues with attention or uh, anxiety and stuff like, all I could say is meditation is wonderful, um, wonderful remedy for a lot of the things that you th- might think don't have a remedy. Yeah. But it, only because it's been proven to myself through myself. Like, yeah. no, I didn't read it in a book. I had to just do it and understand how important it is.
1: Yeah. I, I just began looking across the board. It, to me, it didn't seem like a coincidence that, you know, billionaires, successful people in a variety of, of entertainment fields, including music, were all kind of doing the, th- the same thing. I, I often say it as a joke sometimes that great minds think alike you know it there there are some fundamental things that some successful people do and that was one of them to me
0: um the there's a grandmaster chess player um joshua waitskin who's wrote the book the art of learning and it's a autobiography about how he became a grandmaster at 12 or whatever when he did and he uh the movie searching for bobby fisher is about him yeah uh and he's uh, also a um, a uh, martial arts world champion at oh, the same wow. time. That's what he went to from chess. Still a chess champion, <laughs> but just fig- used used his ability. He figured out. He, so he wrote this book, The Art of Learning, and it's just basically like talked about how he learned chess and how he learned to do and and how much meditation is just the most important factor of everything. And he was saying he's like now and and then I listened to a podcast with him. And he was talking about this is on the Tim Ferriss show. He's telling Tim Ferriss that he gets, you know, these really billionaire clients. He's like a consultant to these billionaires about meditation. And he said the. The, you know, richest, most successful people he knows, they meditate for five hours a day.
1: I couldn't imagine that. It's hard for me to get my two 20-minute sessions. So
0: they meditate for five hours a day. That's... <laughs> I mean, look, I, I
1: respect that mental clarity. It must be wonderful to have.
0: And also, um, you know, they can. They have the luxury of being able to be able to use that time in that way yeah. to create a minimal amount of work for themselves and a maximum amount of time to have that self-awareness.
1: I mean, before my phone broke, I thought it was astounding that I'd put in seven days seven total days over the course of about a year and a half seven uh, what do you mean seven days seven uh oh total like the amount of hours, hours of the oh of that's, great. Of hours. that's great yeah uh that to me was astounding I, i'd never i didn't know it cataloged it that way and um by i'm by no means uh Religious about it in terms of every day twenty minutes, sometimes just five, sometimes just ten minutes for the entire day. I try to, I just do my best to to get the time in. But it has become something that's that's been vital for me, anyways.
0: That's awesome, um, man. Glad, I was glad we got to talk about that. Yeah, it's inspiring me to do it more. I've, been, I've, I've picked <laughs> I've picked it up more, and I I'm surprised at how uh, I've taken to it. So easily, and I have very little resistance to it. I've always been like that. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are very resistant. I tried to get my mom to meditate one time with me, and I was like, had my eyes closed, and I opened them up after like seven minutes, and she was gone. <laughs> she just couldn't do it.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: I've, if anyone's ever, the few people I've talked to, talked about it with, um, only two people have ever taken the, the, the course on, on actually doing it. Uh-huh. Uh, are most any, are like, oh, that's cool. And
0: Are there any good books that you would recommend I check out? Um,
1: you know, the, uh, the name is escaping me, but Maharishi Mahesh Yogi wrote two books. Uh, one was basically breaking down the essence of our very being. It's so deep and profound, uh, that it, it's, it's difficult to read. It, <laughs> it's required many types, many, many rereadings on my part to even comprehend what he's getting at. Um, it's interesting from that standpoint. The, the other one was his breakdown of the, uh, I'm not going to say this right, the, Bhagavad Gita. Okay. is like an analysis Uh, of it. And, and he, he broke that down in a way that is a little more, or basically translated and broke, broke down what was going on within that. It's very interesting.
0: Cause I have, I Uh, have a version of the Bhagavad Gita that's also analyzed, but I haven't really checked it out yet. Yeah.
1: His, his, his breakdown of it was very interesting. Um, catching the big fish by uh, David Lynch. He's a film director. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, he's was kind of really, an really advocate yeah. for transcendental meditation.
1: Very simple book, very mm-hmm. easy to read. Um, and he, I thought that was a good one too. I
0: thought I was on the right track with it because I heard a talk of his on YouTube, and he was talking about the things you find in meditation. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I feel like that speaks pretty true to my experience with some of the very profound things he was saying. So, I really gotta if you, I really gotta just make myself do it more. I guess I get I get down on myself if I miss it and then I just stop doing it. I don't judge
1: it. If I yeah. don't do it, it's okay. You know, it's yeah. it's something that's only my own. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of the way I, I got through my desire to collect things, almost hoarder style, you know, like record collections or book collections. Yeah. You think some way and people are are going to care. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> Not even a little bit. Yeah. It impresses no one. <laughs> and that helped me. That, uh, that profound understanding helped me understand that unless it's meaningful to me I probably don't need to have it around right and it helped me get rid of a lot of the nonsense that I had collected that and and now even moving it's it's definitely helped yeah so we don't have to move as much stuff but it, it's also helped in terms of not judging the process this is something that's only my own I'm only having to look myself in the mirror here no one there's no meditation police coming in to write me a citation for a lack mm-hmm. so I do it because I know that without it um it's going to be very difficult to overcome the the day-to-day mm. uh just I'd say stresses it's not necessarily fear that I'm I'm dealing with but just uh the the war within so to speak and not let the the forces of rage kind of overwhelm you yeah. You know and it's a way of kind of keeping all of that at bay
0: okay that's awesome man well, I think you beat i think we're at the record
1: are we i have i am I the record I champion think you're now? at the record yeah if anyone tries to beat this record I'm coming back and I'm talking <laughs> even longer okay just a note to everyone
0: uh is there anything <laughs> that you want to tell listeners about where they could find you online or where they could see you play or anything you want to let them know?
1: Uh well how about uh check out uh the website we built for the business it's uh dot 615com cool um have a nice little performance video up there if anyone's getting married needs a needs a great band uh we can definitely hook that up uh you know i think that'd be a good place to start other than that uh if anyone wants to connect with me via social media I'm not the most responsive, but if uh, I I don't view you as we spoke about as someone who's an overt problem via social media, I'll be (laughs) happy to friend you, interact, have a conversation. You can ask anything you want.
0: What's your Instagram? Uh,
1: I think it's at w.adampuff. Facebook is wadampuff. There's a W there to make me more pretentious, (laughs) Um, but it's just my first name, William. Um, And I think... I think those are the the primary two. I, I'm really not a huge social media guy. I post very infrequently, but if you want to le- read a long Rolling Stones concert review somewhere in there, I've hidden. You're, you're welcome to it, people. So
0: <laughs> awesome!
1: Well, thanks for coming on, Adam. man. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: I'd like to thank Adam Puff for coming on the show again. Adam, it was a pleasure talking to you. Um, thanks for uh, taking so much time, uh, getting into all those topics. Um, and anybody who's listening to this episode, if you like this podcast, please recommend it to at least one friend, uh, a little bit really goes a long way in the podcast world. So if you think there is another musician out there or or music lover, um, that wants to learn more about, you know, the life or the mental process or, or any type of, um, you know, something personal, uh, that can be gained from listening to interviews with musicians, please pass this along. You got this on iTunes, Spotify, on my website, AndrewLapau.com slash podcast. Uh, lots of ways you can listen to it. So please pass it along to anybody you think would be interested in this. Um, and to anybody else who's still listening, uh, thanks for listening, first of all. And uh, just a couple things to um, to think about that I've been uh, kind of pondering since I saw uh, Fire Fraud, the Hulu documentary on the uh, Fire Festival, which just ended up being a huge scam. Um, what what does social media mean to you uh, in your life? Um, it's it's a question that I think people should take seriously because social media is you know a rather new. Um, trend in our culture, and between watching that documentary and then catching up on the second season of Atlanta, um, I kind of really just think social media, you know, is like ninety nine percent just bullshit. Um, and I can Im- I can imagine someone who has lots of fans, like followers, like millions or hundreds of thousands of followers, how that's a really good marketing tool for for a famous person but for somebody who's not famous um is it is it important to you is it what what is the uh how does it balance your life out does it make your life better or does it actually take away um from the quality of your life that's something i've been thinking about a lot I'm going to put this interview in my podcast on my Instagram, which is just my name, at Andrew LaPau. You can follow me on Instagram, but it's just something to think about. All right. I'll catch you next time, everybody.